to Matthew, the Gospel of Ma- or sorry, not Matthew, First Thessalonians. I was looking at my other reading. First uh, Thessalonians, chapter four. Uh, now, Thessalonians is one of these books that really is one of my favorite books. Now, I say that about most books of the Bible, but I really do mean it when I say First Thessalonians is one of my favorite books. It uh, it was one of the first, I don't know, books of the Bible that I studied in depth. And I've never really forgotten about uh, the concepts I found there. Uh, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about when I say this. If you really spend time in God's Word learning it, uh, here's the deal, is that's not going to change. So if you actually learn the book of 1 Thessalonians and how it flows and what the themes are, what's being said, if you actually take the time to do it, it's not like technology, you know, you learn about all your, you know, new iPhone 27, you know, and then, and then all of a sudden, you know, next year it changes, you got to learn all that stuff over again. That's not how the Bible works. Now, there's always something more to learn, yes, but if you learn the basic structures of, of a book of the Bible, that's not going to change. Not a thousand years from now, this word will remain for all of time. And so, let's read here uh, just a portion from 1 Thessalonians. This is a letter written by Paul, and he's being very specific about something I want to pick up on uh, this morning to conclude our series on kingship. Uh, we started, remember, in the Old Testament. Now we're going to end, essentially, with the apocalypse, with the end, uh, the book of Revelation of sorts. Notice these words here found in 1 Thessalonians 4, starting with verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, we who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord." Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to, you, to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up 
just as you are doing. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank You for Your Word. It is holy and it is for us. So we pray that we would receive it this morning and act upon it, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. You don't get a choice uh, of when you were born, where you were born, that you exist. So no one asks you, hey, would you like to exist? Uh, And if so, when? And if so, where? Uh, This is not something that is up for us. It is uh, something we're already in, and yet we had no control over. There was no decision on our part to exist. This comes from God. He is the Creator. And so, although we don't have a decision when we begin life, we do have a decision uh, and a part in the end of our life and where we will spend eternity. So although we did not create ourselves, we will ultimately destine ourselves in the end by a choice. That is, the choice of whether or not to be in Christ or not. Follow God's way or not. So the future is not an ancillary thing in the Bible. It's not some kind of side issue in the Scriptures. The future is extremely important. And although we may not always have the details we would like to have about it, um, we do have enough to say a few things. And this is the kind of stuff we want to say this morning. Notice how Paul begins this uh, you know, section about the future. And as you can tell, this is concerning what is to happen. He says, look, I don't want you to be uninformed. And Christians should not be uninformed about, what, about what's going to come down in the end. Uh, now, I know there's a movie series, or the beginning of one, of The Left Behind. And I know the books. And I'm very familiar with all that kind of stuff. And the, you know, just the kind of a fanfare of the end times and this whole thing. I mean, look, I, lived, I grew up in the 80s and in the 90s, and that's when it was really big. If you remember, they had these scary movies, you know, that basically was, they was really weird. Everybody was dying and all this kind of and it, And the whole message was, don't be left behind, you know. And so it used to scare my brother and I all the time, you know, if all of a sudden, you know, we're like, Mama! And nobody answers. And Daddy! And nobody answers. We go downstairs and nobody's there. We're like, oh my gosh, we've been left behind! You know, and so it's like this, this, this angst, you know, about it uh, that they created for us in the 90s and in the 80s with these uh, fictional um, dramatizations of the end of time. Even though many of these things may have some sort of biblical connection, that's not the gospel. Uh, let's just be clear. Nicholas Cage is not the gospel. Um, you know, the Left Behind series, although it's made a lot of money, is not the gospel. Nothing downing all that stuff. I know that some people are very intrigued by this, but I want you to notice the words that Paul uses here. Number one, don't be uninformed. Number two, I shouldn't have to write to you about when this is going to happen. In other words, don't worry about when this is going to happen. Did you notice what he says here? Now concerning, chapter 5 of 1, now concerning the times and the seasons and the timelines, if you want to 
interpret it like that, and these, you know, what's going to happen first, and when the Antichrist is going to come, and what's Jesus, you know, and listen, he says, look, you have no need for me to write anything to you about that, because it's going to come like a thief in the night. So if someone chooses April 26th of next year, which is my birthday, um, you know, and says, hey, Jesus is going to come back on that day, you can go ahead and mark that off your calendar. He's not going to come back on that day. It's going to come like a thief in the night. No one's going to be able to guess it. And this is the nature of prophecy. When you study prophecy in the Bible, prophecy is not who's going to win the Super Bowl this year. It's not what it's about. It's instead showing large pictures of things that are going to come down and happen at the end. And the main picture is really twofold. Number one, God is going to judge the world. In other words, people who we think are getting away with stuff, in the end, are not going to get away with stuff. There's someone who sees everything. Even when the cops don't see it or we don't see it, he sees it. So there's going to be judgment. But there's a second part to that, and that is, he's going to bring peace. Reconciliation. He's going to bring everything to its final head, which is truly himself. Uh, so it's a po- both a negative, the judgment side, and a positive, he's going to bring shalom, peace. And so, Paul says, look, don't be uninformed about these things. In other words, we as Christians should study uh, what is commonly called eschatology, which just simply means the last things. And we shouldn't be afraid to read the book of Revelation. That's what it did for me in watching those movies, was actually made me afraid to read the Revelation. You know, I'm like... And I don't want to bring up all that fear again, you know. Uh, no, actually, Revelation is for our encouragement. Notice how Paul twice here in these, this uh, chapter, both these chapter and a halves, uh, he says the same thing, and that is, use these words to what? Scare each other? No, to encourage one another and build each other up. If your theology of the end times does not encourage brothers and sisters and build them up, then it probably needs to be rethought. Now, it should scare those outside of the faith, but not inside. It's meant for encouragement. God wins. Jesus is the victor. Uh, He is the King of kings, and He will come in great glory. And so, Paul uses this term here, those who are asleep. And there was a question in Thessalonica. The question was, Those who die before the kingdom of God is realized in its fullness, what happens to them? When they just miss out? Paul says, no, they're only sleeping. Now, some people have tried to say, well, you know, this is just an ancient way of talking about the dead. No, this is a Christian way of talking about the dead. Because truly, we will rise again. That is the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. That's why Christians have hope, not of eternal damnation, not some kind of soul sleep or annihilationism, where we just, you know, after you die, that's it. All you got is this life. That is worldly thinking. Paul says, no, they're only sleeping, for their body will rise again. Your physical body will rise again. Again, that's a powerful message. Because you see, death is the great equalizer of mankind. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much power you have, how much prestige you have, what you've done in life. You will die and become nothing in this world. 
It's, it's the sad reality of all humans. It's the way of everybody. It's, you, know, you read Ecclesiastes, which again is kind of my, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, because it is so negative. Not that I'm always wanting to be negative. I just like a real picture of reality. And in that book, Solomon says, you know, look, I got all this money, got all this fame, got all this power, and yet I'm going to die just like a dog and be buried. What's the difference between me and a dog? Except Jesus. That's the only difference. We live, we die, okay. Is that it? Is that the message? I mean, you know, I often uh, will ask atheists, you know, what there really is to get behind in their understanding of the world. You know, we came from nothing. We live for nothing. We're going to nothing. Woohoo! I'm ready to jump on that bandwagon. That sounds like a great place to go. To nothing. Nothing is not appealing. Something, someone is appealing, and that is the kingdom of God and the King Himself, Jesus. That's something to live for. And truly, we will rise, Paul says, and see Him. And so what Paul says, look, no, you're not, you're not going to miss out if you die before He comes back, before He institutes His full kingdom. He's going to bring you with Him. So you're actually going to come too. And so these were words that were meant to encourage the believers... Uh, at Thessalonica. The other day someone sent me a... People send me a lot of stuff, but they sent me a um, video of Jim Carrey giving a uh, convocation speech at a university. And it was a great speech, very motivating, actually. I was very impressed uh, at his um, speaking skills. However, he continually uh, used this one term to refer to things happening in the students' lives. He said, he said, you know, the universe is trying to tell you something. The universe is the one that pushes you in this direction. The universe is the one... And I was thinking to myself, okay, are we personifying the universe? Or is he being for real like that the universe actually is directing things as a god? You know, is he thinking, is, is the universe divine? Um, obviously, we would have submitted in that place God. He's obviously not using that. And then he had this really strong... You know, I, I've heard that kind of stuff before. That's not a big deal. This was what was surprising to me in his, in his speech was he said this. There is no hope. All there is is now. All there is is opportunity. Jump over hope and reach for opportunity. I thought to myself, okay. Only to meet at the end, Nothing. So what if you do a great job in life here, you still meet nothing. You end up nothing. You just cease to exist. It's kind of dreary. It's more dreary than the Christian message for sure. That no, you will actually meet a personal God. Paul says this, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's pretty powerful, and I think that's extremely clear about what ha- you know what happens to us when I die. You know, I don't know. Do we go through some kind of journey? And this apparently, you go straight to Jesus. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that's who the Lord is. And so we know that once you get to Jesus, at least in the final judgment, He's going to separate the sheep and the goats. Now again, this is a figure of speech for us. If you'll notice in Satanism, people who worship Satan, uh, that uh, they always have goats as their representatives. In other words, if you've ever seen a, a devil worshiper sign, 
it is always a goat. Because they want to be in that camp. But the Bible doesn't want us to be in that camp. The left side is not the right side. And therefore it's the wrong way. And the goat side is not the good side. Uh, that is going to meet, as you just heard from Matthew 25, and again, these are not my words, they're Jesus, and they're very troubling, eternal damnation. And now he could have just said damnation, you know. He could have just said, they will meet damnation, and they will be burned up in this fire, and they will cease to exist. And that makes us very comfortable. You know, we say as Christians, okay, yeah, I get that, I, I got that. That's, that's better than having to live eternally in a state of torture and suffering. I understand that. That's not what he says. Eternal life, eternal damnation. As we began this, I said to you, you didn't have a choice in your existence. But you do have a choice in your eternal destination, your final destination. And this is a very important choice. It's not one to be overlooked. It's one that ought to direct and orient the way you live today. Um, the future judgment will happen. The day of the Lord will happen. And this is what Paul is speaking about here to the Thessalonians. And so, uh, he used this term, fall asleep, because Christians have hope that we will awake again. That we will get our body back. And this is very good news um, because it's, you know, we won't be just living in some kind of soul state, but instead we'll have our body with us, which is truly part of us. And so here's the other thing Paul says, look, um, there's going to be a cry of command coming from the commander, Jesus. And then a trumpet will blow. Now for us, we're like, oh, that's a pretty cool scene. You know, we're going to hear something from heaven and then, you know, a trumpet's going to blow or something. You know, I don't know how a trumpet sounds, but, you know, we say, that's a pretty neat scene. For the listeners of Paul, it wasn't just a pretty neat scene. It was a very reminiscent scene. Because, again, we don't deal with kings in America. We shook that off, you know, back in the revolution. And so, therefore, we don't understand this. But in this world... When you heard a cry of command coming from the watchman in the city, and when you heard a trumpet blow, that meant the king had returned from battle. When that happens, you don't just say, oh cool, he'll be here in a little bit, we'll wait on him. No. You go out to meet the king. This was, I mean, you look it up historically, this is the way things work. The king, before he ever reached the city, there would be a trumpet that blow, the uh, watchman would announce that the king was here and, and there would be a great greeting committee that came out to welcome the king in. And there would be much jubilation and celebration as he entered the city victorious. So when Paul uses these images, he's not just drawing some cool poetic images. He's actually using real things in their understanding of how it worked. I mean, if you've ever seen the president or the vice president come through town, they're not driving a small car uh, you know, going the speed limit. When I watched, uh, who was it, Al Gore come through uh, Jackson, Mississippi, it, you know, there was a huge convoy of vehicles. They were all really big gas suckers. And they also had armor on them, which made them even more heavy and they had more gas. They probably had one that just had gas in it to fill up the others just in case something happened. I don't know. But, and so here they come through town. The entire interstate was closed down. 
The interstate, can you believe that? Was closed down. Here he comes. And so they're rolling, and, you know, Interstate 55 is not the best. So these vehicles were doing this number on the, on the hilliness of, uh, you know, uh, this is really bad road, not hills in Mississippi. But, and so they're coming through town going about 80 or 90 miles an hour down 55. And that's no joke. They were going fast. They were rolling fast. He was coming hard and heavy. We would understand that. What I'm saying is this. To update it, Jesus is going to come back hard and heavy. He's not coming in disguise. He's not going to slip in town, you know, on a, on a silent night, you know, when nobody really notices, when the headlines are... No, no. This time He comes into town, he, He's coming in hard and heavy. Hot and fast, as we say. Everybody's going to see it. Everybody will recognize it. Everyone. Everybody you've ever seen in your life will stand before this King. Everybody. Everybody currently in places of power around the world. You know, that we don't like or we do like or whatever. Everybody will meet this King. Face to face. You'll have a private meeting with the most important person in the universe. And it's King Jesus. And so, this imagery of the royal return... Uh, and the trumpet blowing, and the watchman, you know, shouting this command, and you know, the Lord coming in strong and mighty. This is all a part of of the King coming back. And so, you know, the message, the title of my message, you don't have your bulletin today, but it's the return of the King. And Tolkien obviously picks up on this whole idea. And you know, at the last, you know, the last book of uh, the Lord of the Rings series, I mean, by the by the end, you're just like, yes. I mean, you know, you almost got a tear in your eye. You're wanting to enter the city with them, with the King. You know, he's finally revealed himself as the king. He used to be just a, you know, ranger that was kind of behind the scenes. But now he has revealed himself in his true glory. This is what's going to happen. But if you're on the enemy's side, guess what? You're going to be destroyed. You're going to be judged. But you don't have to be. You can join the right side now. Remember the dark shadow that's cast over Middle Earth? By the enemy? Is it, doesn't Paul use the same imagery here? Don't be people of the night. Don't live in darkness. Now he doesn't mean don't take third shift. <laughs> darkness is not living in the light of Jesus. Instead, it's going your own way. It's stopping your ears up, closing your eyes and doing whatever you want to do. That is being people of the night. And Paul says, no, that's not you. You are children of the day. And therefore, be sober. Be ready to work. Don't go to sleep. Instead, be awake and vigilant until He returns. Remember we read the parable of the ten virgins last week. Don't fall asleep and run out of gas. I mean, that's, that's basically what this, this parable is telling us. Don't, how, do you, how do you not fall asleep? How do you not run out of gas? Get connected to Jesus' body. That's how. The church. Continually refuel yourself with the Word of God, which is the bread of life that we run off of. Amen. He said, well, I don't hear from God. You know, people say they hear from God. He has spoken right here. When you read this, you are hearing directly from God. Now, I know the Spirit can speak things into your spirit, but what He speaks there is not as foundational as what He speaks right here. 
In other words, if you come to me and say, hey, I got a new revelation, I'm not going to equate it with this revelation. Sorry, nothing against you. Um, but this is God's Word to us. And if you want to hear from God, you go here first. You go to prayer first. So, Paul says, look, we're going to be caught up at this point with the Lord in the air. And if you ever heard the term rapture, this is where this term comes from. Rapture is never used in the Bible. Uh, the term rapture is never used, even though there's a whole theology about it. Um, how it. And that's not a problem. Trinity is never used in the Bible. Okay, so let's not just throw it under the bus. But at the same time, let's be very cautious in the sense that we should not make off of one or two verses an entire theology. This is where the snake handlers go wrong. We don't do that here, by the way. I don't like snakes. Um, that's not the only reason, but... You have here, we are caught up with Him, raptured up with Him. We go out to meet Him is what it says. So in other words, apparently, look, we're going to meet Jesus, King Jesus, before He gets to earth to rule. We sang a song this morning from Psalm 2, actually. That's where the psalm comes from, or the song comes from that psalm. And it says, why do the nations rage? Why, why are they doing this? I mean, it's the King of glory that's come down. What are you going to do against Him? It's like a kid pushing on my leg trying to get me to go somewhere. Not going to happen. And we push against God when we sin against Him, when we join the dark side, truly is the side without His light. And so He will return and He'll have the whole angelic entourage with Him. I mean, it's going to be amazing. He's going to have all the saints of God with Him. My pappy will be in there. And then we're going to get caught up with them to join them as we come and He sets up His kingdom on earth finally and fully. Now remember, it's already here. It's just in disguise. It's in us. And yet then He will set it up physically in this world, on this world. That's what we mean by the second coming of Christ. The second advent of Jesus. We're about to be celebrating next week. Advent, which is the first coming, where He slips into our world as a baby. What an amazing thought that is. And this time He'll come in great power as the High King of Heaven. And so, <laughs> Paul says, look, this should be encouraging to you. To know that no matter how bad life gets, there's one who is in charge. There's one that is not touched by the evil that we have to deal with. And there's one who will bring all evil and darkness and even our tears to a close. The Bible says that He will wipe away every tear. And we won't cry again. I think there will probably be a time of grieving uh, where we'll all shed a few tears. And He'll wipe them away we'll never do it again. Which is really good news. There will be no more heartbreak. There will be no more sadness. We will be in life Himself. In love Himself. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. When I look upon His face, the One who saved me by His grace, when He takes me by the hand, and leads me through the promised land. What a day. What a day that will be. It truly will be one day. That's what we call the Lord's Day. It's what Paul here calls the Lord's 
day. Now, every Sunday we celebrate as if He's already ruling. Because He is. We know it to be true, even though the world doesn't know it. And one day He's going to bring it all down to a close. This is what the end is about. The apocalypse is about the end. That's what it means. The end. (laughs) And He's going to bring this end to conclusion. All the I's that are not dotted, He's going to dot them. T's not crossed, He'll be crossing them at this point. Anything left undone will be finished on that day. It is the great consummation of all things. So, what do we do in the meantime? You know, if we know this to be true, do we just say, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to run up my credit cards and just do whatever I want to do in life because you know what? Jesus is coming back and He's going to pay my bill, baby. No. That is not correct. Uh, Paul will say to the Thessalonians, because they actually had a misunderstanding here in Thessalonica, some of them had actually, if you read the book, some of them had actually stopped working. They said, look, you know what? I'm not going to go to work Monday, because if Jesus comes back, man, that's the best thing in the world. I'm not going to go to work. Why would I go to work? If He's coming back soon, I'm not going to go to work. That's a waste of my time. Let's just hang around at church and sing songs. Paul says, no. No, no. You go to work. If you're a soldier, go to work. If you're a merchant, go to work. Why? Because in going to work, you reach the world. Amen. Your work is your mission field. You don't have another mission field. That's yours. And I know people like to go to Africa and India and all the places around the world. But your primary mission field is right under your nose. Because those people see you day in and day out. Your family sees you day in and day out. You say, yeah, and that's a problem because, you know, there's kind of this disconnect between the way I kind of live around them and and the way I am at church and stuff, you know. It shouldn't be. This is the gospel. It shouldn't be. There should be continuity. This is the really striking thing about Jesus as far as world religious leaders. Jesus, what He taught and how He lived actually matched. You, that's very, very rare in religion. Um, you know, I could go through the different religious leaders and people who... But none of them are able to actually do what they teach. And He did. And His good news for us is that we can too by His Spirit. I know it gets quiet when you say that because people are like, ah, you can't really. I mean, I know, I know we should, you know, I know we should kind of aim for that, but I know you can't re- read the New Testament. Then, should we continue in sin that grace might abound? God forbid. Romans seven, where where Paul said, you know, I try to do this and I can't, and I don't want to do this, and I do. At the end of that chapter, you ever read the end? He says, "What a wretched man that I am! Who can save me from this?" Praise be to God. In Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit can. Chapter 8 is all about the Holy Spirit. Only living in the Spirit can you live what you believe. Amen. That's a really tough thing to do. I, look, some of that stuff not going to happen overnight. But it is the walk with God that's the sweet part. He is more than willing to be very gracious to you to get you to that point. But you must be reaching for holiness. Nothing less than perfection. Nothing less. If you're shooting for anything less, then you're aiming in the wrong direction. You need to correct your aim. 
Jesus says, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Perfect in love. Look, our bodies are going to give out on us. That's all right. It's a perfect heart that matters. That's what we're talking about. It's a perfect aim that matters. Uh, I can't stay awake all the time. I wish I could. I hate to sleep, but I can't. And so I have to go to sleep. You have to be limited in your life. That's okay to be limited physically. But in your heart, your attitudes, those can be adjusted by Jesus. Those can be transformed by God. And we must allow Him to do that work in us because the day of the Lord is fast approaching. If there's any remnant of the enemy at work in us, we need to be cleansed from that. Because that day is coming when we will have to give an account. Yes, everyone will stand before God according to the Scriptures. No one gets a pass. But when the judge is your brother, that makes for a very different situation, doesn't it? And the Bible says Jesus has become our brother. When the judge, when the high judge is, you know, the Supreme Court judge is your father, that is awesome. Because he understands you better than anyone else. And when God is living in you, then you can't go wrong there. Uh, when judgment comes to those people, he will say, Well done my good and faithful servant. Enter into peace. Enter into my kingdom that I have prepared for you. You ever thought about that, really? I mean, we say it, you know, we say we believe it and so like Jesus actually prepares things for you if you're one of His. That's a really awesome... I mean, you know, look, when, when I go home for Christmas to Mississippi, my meemaw knows, and my mamaw, on both sides... They both know that my one favorite thing is stream beans. And they're going to have them. And I like her stream beans, and I like her stream beans. And they're both in competition. I can't tell you which one is the best one, because I want to keep receiving both of them. Um, And so, they prepare something for me, which really means a lot for me. Even at their age, they will prepare a specific thing for me. Jesus is preparing something specific for you. That's an amazing thought. Shouldn't we encourage one another with those words? That's what He says here, right? Not scare each other. Encourage one another. Build each other up. We're all headed to the same place. It's Jesus. It's Him. He's the answer. He always has been. (laughs) He's the prize. What is heaven like? Jesus He is the point of heaven. So, if He's not the point of reference in your life, if He's not the foundation, He can be. You don't have to continually live in this world and for this world and be a slave of this world. He can free you. Just like He did the Israelites. Just like He did the disciples. He can free you from yourself. Free you from your sin. And usher in the kingdom of God in you. Right now, He can do that. And then when He brings it in its fullness, it'll just be a big party. A big celebration. Of thanksgiving, truly. Because it all comes from Him. Although thanksgiving is not a church holiday, it's not a holy day in the church, it is something that reminds us that we should be thankful to God because it all comes from Him. So, this morning, 
encourage one another with these words and build each other up as we as the church in the meantime continue to proclaim and to declare the Word of the Lord and to demonstrate and live it out. It's a twofold thing that we are tasked with. We proclaim it, yes, but we demonstrate it. We live it. We share it and we serve. And if we do one or the other, we're wrong. We must do both as a church. So we're going to be given a lot of opportunities here in this holiday season for you to actually serve, for you to be able to give to people in need and do what Jesus has told us to do as a church. We want you to get on board with that. But you must do these things out of a heart of love for Jesus. Without that, without Him, everything is nothing. With Him, the nothing that we do have down here is everything because of Him. And we will be thankful. We'll be happy. We'll be what the Bible calls blessed. Amen.